series for just a few weeks here to kind of close out October. We got a few more weeks left in October. But the title of our new series is Rocktober, because we're talking about Jesus, the rock of ages, the great I am. We're talking about Jesus here. And I want to take just a few weeks here to uh, to look at some of the teachings that Jesus gave us straight from his lips. You know, and, and you know, a few years ago, we uh, we started a Sunday night series. Some of you remember this. It was great. We started a, a series called The Words in Red. Remember this, Melinda? You remember this? Uh, I think it was in 2013. But anyway, we ended up just going each week for, we went 31 weeks, you know, 31 weeks on just teachings, things Jesus said out of the Gospels. And, it, you know, it's incredible. And so there's, what I learned quickly is there is no shortage of things to look at in these red letters, these things that Jesus said. And, you know, as I've studied it over the last couple of years and everything, I mean, there's a lot of things and, and quotes and sayings that people use in everyday life that they don't even realize are something that Jesus Christ said. And, you know, as I'm thinking about Jesus, you know, we all, we all you know, in this room, we love him, we know him. Who knows Jesus in here? I mean, you know him. I, I know Jesus better than I know most people I can see. I've, I've never seen him, but I mean, I know Jesus. I know, I know what he sounds like. He speaks to my heart. I, I know the things that he's done in my life. I mean, I have, I have a, a relationship with Jesus. I, I talk to him every day. I know Jesus. And it, it's just incredible to look at, at the, the life and the history of, of Jesus because, you know, there's never been somebody more loved or hated. You know what I mean? I mean, even, even people in this day and age will hate you just because you do know Jesus, just because you do follow Jesus. Why is it that he's the most loved and the most hated person in the history of the world? Well, because, first of all, he's loved. All of us know what he's done for us. He saved us. He healed us. He gave us a better life than what we had. And he's given us the guarantee that when we die from this earth, that's not a final thing. We go to heaven. And so, yes, we love Jesus for so many reasons. We love him because he first loved us. But then he's also hated because the devil is absolutely afraid of Jesus. Who knows this? The devil is afraid of Jesus because Jesus went down into hell when he, when he was died. And he did battle. He did warfare with the devil. Jesus won. And the book of Revelation tells us that at the end of all, all ages, at the end of everything, there will come a time when Satan will be thrown into the bottomless pit that burns with sulfur. And he'll remain there forever and ever and ever. And he'll never get out. Satan knows this. And he does not want you to follow Jesus. He does not want you to give your life to Jesus. Jesus has changed everything. And, you know, it's so important that we use the name of Jesus and that we use it boldly. You know, it, uh, my dad's pointed out so many times that, you know, most of the world won't get that offended if you just mention the name of God. Well, God. But if you start throwing the name of Jesus out there, I mean, it, it really starts to offend some people. You, you want to make some people mad, you go around talking about Jesus. You say Merry Christmas. You, you, know, you, you throw Christ in there anywhere you can. You throw Jesus in there and it'll tick the devil off and it'll tick some people off. Why is this? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And not everything that Jesus said made everybody feel good. You know what I mean? Jesus' teachings sometimes were hard to accept, hard, hard to receive, because a lot of Jesus' teachings told us, 
you're doing this wrong and you need to change. You're going to have a better life if you'll do it my way. Or if, if you'll quit doing this, I can give you this over here. And, and it's hard for people to accept that. So with all this said, we're going to study a little bit uh, tonight about something Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 20. So I'd like us to turn there to start off with to John chapter 6. To John chapter 6. And, you know, there's this quote that I've heard. And it, it, I mean, it, it rings so true. Somebody said, if our greatest need was education, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent maybe an actor or a musician. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent a savior. And that's what Jesus is. He is savior. You know, there's plenty of people that can educate you. There's plenty of people to entertain you. There's plenty of people to, you know, do all kinds of different, fulfill all types of different needs in your life. But there's only one that could save you. Nobody else could do what Jesus did for you. Nobody else could bring healing to you like Jesus can. Nobody else can bring peace into your life like Jesus can. And so Jesus, he is the, the, the one and only begotten Son of God. But we're going to look at John chapter 6 here. And uh, verse 20, I'm going to read this one verse and then I'm going to pick up the entire story. But here's what I'm focusing on tonight. And it's this, verse 20. But he called out to them and he said, Don't be afraid, I am here. Don't be afraid, I am here. And that's, that's kind of the title tonight is, Don't be afraid, I am here. You know, those words bring I'm the absolute most peace into my life. Because no matter what you're going through, Jesus is saying to you, Hey, don't be afraid, I'm right here. I didn't leave you. I didn't go anywhere. I'm right here. And sometimes we lose sight of that. You know, it's hard when you're facing a financial crisis or, or a family issue or child issue or something. It's hard to get all, you know, get, get all stressed out and everything. But listen, Jesus is here saying, don't, don't be afraid. I'm right here. I'm right beside you. I didn't leave you just because it got hard. I'm right here. And so I want to expound this story a little bit and show you what Jesus was talking about when he said all this. So this brings us to point number one tonight, and that's this. Number one, Jesus is always with us. Jesus is always with us. Now, listen, I don't want some of the things we say, you know, I, I throw something out like this out there, and I'm always afraid that it's going to sound so cliche that you're going to say, oh, well, I, I know that. But listen, Jesus is always with us. Do you, get, do you understand that? Do you get that? Jesus Every day, every second, every hour, he's with us. He sees what you're doing when nobody's there. He hears what you're saying in your house when nobody else can hear it. He sees, you know, and he knows what you're thinking. Jesus is always there in your hardest times. Jesus is always there. But let's look at this story. We're in John chapter 6. Let's go back here to verse 16. Check this out. John chapter 6. Verse 16, it says that evening, Jesus disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. And soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. So here they are. They grew impatient. I mean, they were waiting for Jesus to go to the other side. And they're like, well, I don't think he's coming. Let's just we better go ahead and go. And so they hop in the boat without Jesus. 
Take Jesus with you everywhere you go. I'm not getting on a boat without Jesus. You're crazy. I'm not getting on an airplane without Jesus. You're nuts. And so they get on there, and they're taken off without Jesus. And so here they go, and of course a storm comes really, really quick, and it's getting ready to get ugly. It said, they had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. Whoa. They were terrified. I mean, they, imagine this. You're out, this is nighttime. This vessel has no headlights, okay? We're way before this. And it's, I mean, a storm. They're up and down. It's raining. It's wind and everything. It's the middle of the night, pitch black, dark, and they're all over the place. They're terrified already. Then they see somebody walking on the water towards them. And yeah, they're terrified. Would you not be terrified? That would be crazy to see. And especially, I mean, this guy's just walking calm and their boat's all over the place. Then here comes somebody walking on the water toward them. This is nuts. But he called out to them, don't be afraid. I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat. Don't you think you would be? You're in the storm and he finds Jesus. I'm like, yeah, get in here quick. So they're eager to let Jesus into the boat. And immediately... They arrived at their destination. And, and I, you know, that line right there is pretty crazy that immediately, as soon as Jesus gets in, it says immediately they were just there. I mean, that, how does that happen? It's a miracle. They were still probably several miles from where they were supposed to be. Jesus gets in, and they're immediately at their destination. This is crazy. Now, this story has so many angles to go from. And, you know, we, we've heard the stories of, of Jesus walking on the water, and I've always assumed, you know, you know, he stepped out and took a few steps. But did you realize right here that it said they were three to four miles out? Jesus walked around four miles on the water. Four miles. Most of us don't walk four miles in a week. But here we are. Jesus walked four miles on water. He didn't just take three steps and say, look what I can do. I can do a miracle. No. Jesus got out to where these guys were because these boneheads left Jesus back behind and thought they could do it on their own. They got out there and disaster struck. Now, how many times have you grown impatient because you just haven't heard from Jesus on a situation? You know, I'm praying about this job. I'm praying about this situation. And I'm not hearing anything, man. And you get impatient. And you're like, well, I don't know. Let's just go. Jesus will catch up to us later. And you hop in the boat without Jesus. And then a storm comes. And don't look at me that way because I know you've done it. I've done that. When you're when you want something, when you're when you're just looking for it and, and you're not getting an answer from heaven, it's pretty difficult sometimes to wait. But they should have waited for Jesus. And the cool thing about it is this. Jesus didn't just say and we, we obviously can see that Jesus could have just gone from one side of the lake to the other. Right. He could have. I mean, he could have just instantly appeared over there. You know what I mean? But he didn't do that. And so here he is. He walks four miles across raging waters, rain, storms, wind, everything, up and down. And here he is. He walks all the way out there to get these guys. And then he tells them, hey, don't be afraid. I am here. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've, I've, I've been there, man. I've been in the storm. It's raining it's wind, it's bad, not a single thing is going right. And I pick up this Bible right here, and Jesus says to me, Hey, don't be afraid, I'm right here, I got you. Now, you've got to realize that 
this isn't just a book. I mean, I think we know this. This is not just a book. Your Bible, that's not just some historical document or, you know, some leather and some paper put bound together. No, this is alive. This is the only book on the face of the planet that is literally alive. The book of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is alive. It's powerful and it's sharper than any two edged sword. And John 1, verse 1, says that Jesus is the Word. And I take this very seriously. When I pick up this Bible, when I spend time with this Bible, I'm spending time with Jesus. Absolutely. This is Jesus. This is the Word of God. And if you're going through the storm, if you're going through something, man, you need to get Jesus. You need to get a hold of Jesus. And how do you do that? Of course you pray and everything, but you get to His Word Jesus is the Word of God. And when I spend time with the Bible, I'm spending time directly with Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and, and man, he tells me, don't be afraid. I'm right here. And you know, I can remember one of the most difficult times of, uh, of my life. And, you know, me and Dad were talking about this the other night. But very dear friend of our, our family died. And anyway... Um, you know, I was a teenage boy, one of my, be- my best friend's dad, and, and through it all, I, I, we did not see this coming. There was no advance notice at all, just a very sudden death of a man that was 40 years old. And, and I mean, just shocked everybody. But I remember, man, I just, I couldn't get any comfort. And I, I so, you know, I, a 15-year-old boy, I just started taking my Bible, I put it under my arm, and I slept with my Bible every night, and it brought me peace. You know, oh, that sounds weird. I don't care, man. Jesus was right there for me, and he says, don't be afraid, I'm right here. And so I kept that Bible with me everywhere I went. And we know he's in our heart, but just knowing, man, something about this. Jesus is the word, and he's right there. So Jesus, he's saying, man, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And you, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you need to remember that. This is one of the most elementary truths that we have that Jesus won't leave you, that he's right there. But so often, why do we forget it? Why do we forget this? When we get into a situation, we say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, there's probably nothing you can do. Why don't you say, Jesus, hey, what what are you going to do? How are you going to get me out of this? And he will. But listen, we look to ourselves way too many times instead of looking to Jesus. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Just let me do this. I've got this. Do it my way. I'm right here. And we've got to do things his way. I was listening to Kenneth Copeland the other day telling a a story about how when he first went to Bible college, he went to Oral Roberts University in the 60s. And he got there and, uh, you know, he was extremely poor, had nothing. But he did have a commercial um, uh, pilot's license. That's what he had been doing. And he sold everything to go to Bible college and get into the ministry. So he gets there and, you know, of course, when, whenever things are going downhill, you know, you start thinking about, well, what am I going to do for money? And so he's like, well, I'll just go out to the airport. I'll just be a pilot. Forget about the whole preaching thing. Forget about the whole Bible college thing. And I'm just going to go be a pilot because that's the only thing I know to do to make money. And so he's praying and God says, no, don't do it. Do not go do that. Listen to me. I'll take care of you. Just hang in there a little bit longer. Don't go do that. Don't do it your way. Do it my way. And so he's like, fine, I'll go. And so he goes to, to school to register for the first day of classes. He, does, he doesn't have the money to pay for it at all. But he's going to go in there and, and say, hey, 
you know, either have mercy on me or drop me because I, I can't pay. And so as he's filling out the paperwork, he gets this, this, God tells him, go call your dad right now. This is, this is in the 60s. There were no cell phones. He couldn't have sent a tweet to his dad. They didn't have that. You know, right? Daddy, call me. Hashtag, you know. So he couldn't. So, so he gets up and, and he goes to a pay phone and he calls his dad while the lady's doing his paperwork. And his dad says, oh, good. Who told you I, who told you I was trying to get a hold of you? He says, well, God did. I'm, you know. And he said, I've been calling everywhere, everywhere trying to find you. Uh, I'm glad you called me. Somebody just came by and, and gave me a huge amount of money for you for your school. I put it in your bank account. So I don't know if you need that or not. But you can go ahead and write a check right away if you need to. It's taken care of. And he's like. Thank you, Jesus. So that's a good deal right there. But so so here's here's what I'm getting out with this story. So he starts to walk out and leave towards the parking lot. And he says his feet just froze in place for a minute. And he's like, and, you know, he, he couldn't get going. And and God says, go up to the fifth floor. Just go up there right now. And he's like, well, we're not allowed. Students aren't allowed on the fifth floor. That's like, you know, we're for the faculty. And, and, and the Holy Spirit said, no, go to the fifth floor. So anyway, he goes, gets on an elevator. He goes up to the fourth floor because he doesn't want to get in trouble. But then he, he goes ahead and goes up to the fifth floor. And as he's walking in there, he doesn't even know what he's doing. But he walks up to this secretary and says, hey, I just want you to know I'm a new student. I've got a commercial pilot's license. If you guys know of anybody hiring, um, just, you know, can I give you my information? She's like, okay. So then he turns around and bumps into none other than Oral Roberts, the head of the university. And he says, you're a pilot? Can you fly, you know, can you handle our jets? And he said, yeah, that's, you know, that's what I do. And he said, okay, you're hired. You're going to be my new uh, uh, co-pilot. And listen, uh, Oral Roberts said about two weeks ago, I was going to go, you know, uh, go down to the airport or whatever and, and start put out an ad to hiring for pilots. But God told me, no, I'm going to send you a, a freshman student that's going to be your co-pilot. And so you're the one. And it had been about two weeks ago that he was begging, God, help. And God said, shut up, just do it my way. I've got something for you. Now, what if Kenneth Copeland, okay, and if you don't realize the magnitude of his ministry, it's one of the biggest ministries in the world. What if Kenneth Copeland had decided, no, I need to do this my way. I just need to go be an airline pilot. What if he had gone to the airport that day? There would be, he never would have got hired by that ministry Oral Roberts is the one that trained him and got him into ministry and got him to where he is now. If he had done it his way and jumped into the boat without Jesus, wow, millions, millions of people would not know the Lord right now. Millions of people would not be saved. Thousands of churches would not be in existence. I don't know if this one would be here. I have no idea. But listen to me. Getting in the boat without Jesus because you're growing impatient is a bad idea. He's always going to love you, but listen to this, okay? Don't get in there without Jesus. Do it his way. And a verse, one of my favorite verses is Joshua 1, 9. Let's, let's run over there real quick. Uh, we're going to come back to the New Testament. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And, man, this is a verse that you need to know. You've got to know Joshua 1, 9. Powerful, powerful verse. Joshua 1, 9. And we did, of course, the whole series on Joshua, the son of Nun, earlier this year. But Joshua, in, in chapter 1, he's taken over for Moses. Moses had died, and Joshua, it's like, hey, this is your thing now. You're going to take them into the promised land. And there's a lot of fear that would go along with that. I mean, you know, you're filling the shoes of Moses. 
Moses is kind of a big deal. He, a lot of things happen with Moses. Moses is one of the most influential people, I mean, ever. And so Joshua is going to take the place of Moses. And, and, you know, God tells him several, several times what we're going to read right here. Joshua 1.9, he says, This is my, my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He keeps telling him this. Listen, don't be afraid. And doesn't this just sound like what Jesus is trying to tell you tonight? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't, listen, don't, don't quit. The Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. And that's the same thing that Jesus said to the disciples. And that's the same thing that Jesus is telling you tonight. I'm with you. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. I'm right here. I didn't go anywhere. Just because trouble came doesn't mean that I took off running. No, I stayed planted right where I am. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. And that's something that Jesus wants you to know. And this brings us to point number two. What we're going to say next is this. Number two, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number one, Jesus is always with us. But number two, you've got to realize because he's always with you, you do not need to be afraid. Now, whenever we get bad news, our first instinct is to let fear kick in, right? I mean, you hear something bad and instantly, I mean, most people, you start thinking, oh, wow. Well, ultimately, this could happen. You start thinking of the worst case scenario. That's fear, and that's exactly what the devil tries to do. So whenever, whenever some kind of bad news or something happens, I mean, we instantly go to, well, what's the worst that could happen? And truthfully, fear will knock on your door even if there isn't bad news. Fear will just try to knock on your door every morning if you'll let it. But listen, we don't have to let fear in. Jesus is saying, I'm here. I've got this. But don't always jump to, what, to whatever you think the worst case scenario is. And a story that I think of is this man in the book of Matthew named Jairus. Has anybody ever heard of Jairus? All right, so let's flip to Matt, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 5. We'll, we'll read it in Mark here. Mark chapter 5. But Jairus was a leader in the local synagogue. So he's, you know, you could say he's one of the leaders of the church. And his daughter became very, very sick, deathly ill. And so he comes and he asks Jesus to pray for him. You know, hey, can you come pray? My little girl's sick and dying. And so Jesus is like, okay, I'll come. But then this woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and got no better but only grew worse, she stops Jesus when he's on his way over there. And so you know that whole story. The woman with the issue of blood, she gets healed of uh, constant bleeding over a 12-year period. But Jesus, after all that, he, has, he, has, he faces an impossible situation because really, really bad news is brought to him. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. So while he was still speaking to her, the woman with the issue of blood, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. I mean, right here, this is worst case scenario. You know, you can't say, well, what could happen next? I mean, she's dead. It's over with. This is an impossible situation. Now, if there's a time for fear to spring in, this would be it, right? I mean, if there's a time to start uh, getting upset, to start panicking, to start having a nervous breakdown, this would be that time his little girl had just died. But look, look at this. I want you to see this. 
But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Can you imagine that? In this situation, the worst thing that's ever happened to you, Jesus says, hey, I heard what's going on. Don't be afraid. Just got to have some faith, man. Don't be afraid. And imagine all the times that we've panicked, that, that we've had something go on, and Jesus is right there saying, man, don't be afraid. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Those are some powerful words right there. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. And so whatever it is you're, you're facing, listen to me. Are you handling it right now with fear or are you handling it with faith? There are two options to every situation. Every bad situation, you've got two options. You can look at it through the eyes of faith or you can look at it through the eyes of fear. There is no middle ground. This is either faith or fear. And listen, faith is the only one that can change your situation. Has fear ever changed your situation? I mean, have you ever received a miracle of God through fear? I haven't. Never. The only way that I've ever received a miracle from God is when I've used my faith. The only way that I've ever received help is through faith. There's never been a time that I, you know, I've just panicked and and gone, you know, gone nuts. And then afterwards said, oh man, I am so glad I chose that path. Wow. That really paid off. That fear got me a new job. That fear healed me of cancer. That was, oh wow. No, it doesn't work that way. Faith or fear. And so what is it you're facing tonight? And I'm asking you, what are you doing about it? Are you handling it with faith or are you handling it with fear? And so Jesus comes up to them and says, listen, don't be afraid. It's all right. Just have faith. And so then Jesus, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And so this is, a, this is very key to what I'm saying right here. There's just so many little lessons from Jesus in here that you overlook them if you're not thinking about it. But how many of Jesus' closest disciples did he have? Okay, he had the 12 disciples, right? We know he had more, but he had the 12 right here. Why didn't he want all 12 going with him? I mean, isn't there power in numbers? Isn't there, wouldn't it be great to just have the whole prayer chain, just, you know, start the whole thing? Why did Jesus... Not let anybody go with him except three people. He only let Peter, James, and John go with him. And this is not the only recorded instance of this happening in the Gospels. There are several other times where Jesus was going to face a very bad situation. An impossible situation. And he said, no, everybody else stay. Peter, James, John, let's go. Let's do this. And he called in those three guys. Why? Because he knew that in an impossible situation, in a bad, bad situation, you only want people around you that believe that it can be done. And apparently, I mean, we know Thomas wasn't exactly, you know, the, the faith giant. He doubted everything, you know, and, and, and Judas, I mean, you want Stephen Judas in there with you? Uh, no, I mean, these were, there were some good guys in the bunch, okay? There's some, there's some good guys out of the 12, but there was three that absolutely were Jesus' closest guys that had the strongest faith. And whenever Jesus faced situations like this, he took these three with him. And so that's something for you to consider. When you're facing a bad situation, I know, I know for me, I can only speak for me, 
I don't tell everybody if I'm going through something. I do not get on the internet. I do not text all my friends. And that's fine if, if that's your way. But I'm just saying, I just know that not, ev- not everybody in my circle of friends and family has faith enough that I'm going to get through the situation. They have more faith in the problem than they do in Jesus in my spot. And so there, I don't want everybody to know my business. I only want the close, you know, the people that I absolutely know have faith in God that I can get out of this situation. But I don't tell everybody if I'm having a bad day or if I'm going through something because you know, some people may think I deserve it. I don't know. But I, I just know that I only want the people that say, we're in this with you. We're going to pray this thing through. We're going to fight this thing through until a miracle comes. Don't you worry about it. We're on the scene. And, you know, and I've, I've told you before that when I had leukemia, that there was, there was a lot of people that my parents would not let come into my hospital room to visit me. And, you know, again, that, that may sound mean. That may sound, you know, like, man, I mean, the, the hospital was, you know, a long way away from our town where everybody lived. Some people drove over an hour to come see me. And if they wanted to come in weeping and wailing and feeling sorry for poor David that's going to die in a matter of days, listen, no, you, you cannot come in here. And I'm glad they did that. I'm glad that they only let people of faith come in and be around me because, hey, it paid off. And, you know, and, and some stuff may sound, well, that sounds a little harsh. Well, maybe it is. But in the end, when you're still alive, you'll be thankful you're a little harsh right now. In the end, when you're still alive, when you've still got a marriage, when you've still got children that love you, when you've still got money and a job, you'll be really glad that you were able to step out a little bit and be a little bit weird by everybody else's standards. So, listen, Jesus, I'm sure it probably, may, I'm sure it hurt the other guy's feelings sometimes when he would only take them. It had to have. But listen, when you're facing an impossible situation, all that goes out the window. Right now, it's all about the faith. And so Jesus brought the three with him. And let's see what happens next. So he brings Peter, James, and John. It says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. So, I mean, there's people all over the place just weeping. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? Child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And, of course, I mean, here we go. That, this just set it off right there. Because look at this. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. They laughed. He's like, <laughs> get out. He made all of them get out of the house. And again, you're like, man, Jesus, that sounds mean. Listen, if my daughter's dead, yeah, you're going to, and Jesus is in the room about to work up a miracle. Get out. You get to step in. I don't need, go, get away. I don't care if you are, you know, my, my best friend, my, my, my brother, go. And so Jesus, they're all laughing like, oh, this fool thinks she's asleep. Oh, man, you brought this nut in here? He can't even tell when someone's dead and all this stuff. And Jesus, he's like, this isn't funny. Get out. So he kicks everybody out of the house. Another faith lesson. (laughs) He kicks everybody out. And look at this. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. So we got, what, six people here. We've got the three disciples, Jesus two parents, and a dead little girl. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, get up. That's all he said. Little girl, get up. And look at this. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Wouldn't you be? This little girl had been dead, and now she gets up and she starts walking around the room. This is incredible. 
And, and Jesus gave them strict orders to, to not to tell anyone what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. And so this, uh, this whole story, there's so much in there. But what if Jairus, in the beginning, when Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid, just have faith. What if he said, no, what's wrong with you? Of course I'm afraid. My daughter died. Get out of here. You should have came when you had a chance. Forget you. I can't believe. What if he had got mad at Jesus like so many of us have? Like so many people do, when it seems like things aren't going right, when it seems like, oh no, this was the last straw, it's not going to work now, and you start blaming Jesus. Jairus didn't do that. He just said, okay, let's go. Let's get to my house right now. And Jesus made the impossible happen. And so you've got to know, Jesus is not going to leave you, and you don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I can't stress that enough, that fear is one of Satan's most powerful weapons, and maybe his most powerful, fear. And we all know this, that what, what we say, Satan is the opposite of God, right? And so if faith pleases God, fear pleases the devil. The devil loves it when you're afraid. Any verse that talks about faith and God, you could, you could insert the word fear and the devil, and it'll go right together, you know what I mean? Fear comes by not hearing the word of God, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews eleven six tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. And with fear, as the, I mean, you're going to please the devil. He loves it when you're afraid. And, and the reason that fear is one of Satan's most potent attacks is this, because he, this is a threefold attack, spirit, soul, and body. He'll start tormenting your mind with fearful thoughts. And if you don't deal with that, it'll creep into your spirit. And some people get so fearful, their fear reaches such a level that it eventually physically does things to their body. I mean, you get ulcers, you get anxiety attacks, you get all kinds of stuff. And I heard this one story, um, and, you know, and apparently a true story about this guy who had always been known as a very fearful man and also a very complaining man. Fearful people are usually complainers. I've just noticed that. They kind of go hand in hand. Complainers and fearful people are just, you know, they, two peas in a pot. It's what they are. But this guy was just this. And so one night he worked at a railroad and, and he, he got locked in a refrigerated boxcar. And he writes a note and he, he, he finds the pen and paper. They, find, they, they go there the next morning. They find his body. He's dead in the, in the refrigerated boxcar. And so they find this note that he'd written to his family, you know, guys, I, I love you. I'm sorry I had to go this way. This is the most awful, p- painful, brutal thing. Why me? Yeah, just all this stuff. And so they're reading it. I mean, this guy had one last giant complaint festival before he died. He, I mean, just really ripped into it and all these fearful, terrible words. And the crazy thing was, is when they went and looked at the boxcar, the refrigeration unit was not plugged in. This man, autopsy, man literally froze to death, but it was like 50 degrees in there. It it was not below freezing. And this man, fear, can convince you to such an extent that things are worse than they are, that it can literally kill you. And, I mean, it literally happened. This guy convinced himself that he was freezing to death and literally froze to death. And that may sound like such an extreme example, but listen, how many times have you let fear totally magnify the problem to you you know what some something that was you know a little molehill turns into you know kilimanjaro and and next thing you know you're like oh my gosh this is awful this is awful i'm dying i'm dying and someone walks in and says hey you got a paper cut bro what is that you know it's something so small and you just turn it into something huge listen that's not faith that's fear 
and, and that's not, fear doesn't move God. You've got to realize that. Sometimes it's easy to think, you know, that, that God's just going to do something and, and create a miracle in your life just simply out of compassion. Well, that's nice, and Jesus does have compassion, but that's not how it works. Faith brings about miracles because Jesus has compassion on everybody. And so if, if you having big problems was all it took for Jesus to come in and rescue you, then there'd be no problems in the world. Jesus would just heal everybody. He'd come in and pour money into everybody's life. He'd come in and fix every problem. But no, it doesn't work that way. Faith is what activates the power of God. Not fear, not, you know, compassion, not, it, it's faith that activates the power of God in your life. And if there's one thing that Jesus is teaching us out of this story, it's this, is that you've got to live by faith, not by fear. And, you know, one thing I think of is, is this, as, as we're walking this Christian life, the word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos. And, and, and this word, it means a slanderer. And, and when you break it down, it says it's someone that unjustly criticizes to sever a relationship. And I'll tell you this, is that the devil will come in to your life. And his main goal is to sever your relationship with God. His ultimate goal, I believe, is not to kill you. Because you're going to go to heaven, right? I mean, of course, the devil doesn't want you on this earth. We know that. But if the devil can get you to let go of God before you die, that's what he's going for. He wants to sever you. He will unjustly criticize the Lord to you. He'll unjustly criticize the people around you. He will come in and slander and throw fear and everything else. And he's just chopping away. You know, if you ever chopped wood, you know, just boom, a little bit at a time, a little bit. And he's just chopping away, chopping away little bits, trying to sever, drive a wedge into that relationship between you and God. Because his ultimate goal would be for a born again Christian to walk away from God, to denounce God and, and turn his back on God. That would bring that brings the most joy to him of any thing ever and so don't let that happen to you don't be afraid just believe jesus is saying i'm right here don't let go of me i'm not letting go of you hold on to me i've got this it's okay we're talking about the rock of ages right here this is rocktober we're having a good time <laughs> listen to me jesus is saying i'm right here and so we're going to get to point number three here tonight and it's this you've got to be courageous You've got to be courageous. And, and you're thinking, well, I don't feel like doing that. I, I feel like jumping into a hole. Listen to me. Be courageous. Joshua 1.9 tells us, don't be afraid or discouraged. Be, be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. And you know, I'm thinking about the children of Israel. You guys remember the story in the book of Numbers, how Moses sends out these 12 spies. Does anybody remember this? They get there, okay? They, they leave Egypt. And they get over to Canaan land pretty quickly. You know, I've said this. It really didn't take that long to get to the promised land. But what happens is Moses sends in 12 spies, right? He sends one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He sends in 12. And he's like, okay, guys, bring back the report. Tell us how good it is. We'll come with a game plan. We're going to go in there. We're going to conquer this promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And we're going to be living our wildest dreams. It's going to be awesome. And they get, and so Moses is pumped up and excited. Yeah. And they send in these 12 guys. And of course, as you know, they come back 
ten of the guys come back absolutely petrified. They let fear just come in and shatter them and shake them. They say, listen, everything about that place is awesome. They said, There's, the, the clusters of grapes are so big, it takes two grown men to carry them on a pole over their shoulder. I mean, it, it is indeed. There's, there's farmland, there's water sources, there's, oh man, Moses, it's everything we ever wanted. But there's giants in there. There's giants, Moses. We can't do it. And two of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, as you know, they come back and say, Oh man, Moses, it's everything we ever dreamed of. And guess what? There's giants. Woo! We get to fight giants. Yeah! And they're all excited. And because this is the best example ever of faith versus fear, fear says, Oh no, giants. And faith is saying, All right, giants. Yeah! We get to, we get to beat some giants before we get this. This is awesome. It's everything we ever wanted. But as you know, the ten guys, they spread fear through a couple million people because there was a, the, the nation of Israel was a couple million people at this point, and they get everybody. And it says that night, that night, every grown man in Israel, other than these couple, that they, they were weeping and wailing and crying like little girls all night long, and you could hear that it was just a, a just a pathetic looking scene, grown men. And these guys had seen the Red Sea part. They'd seen the plagues in Israel. They'd seen all these things. And here they are. Oh, no, there's some giants. Because fear is that powerful if you'll listen to it. When someone wants to come to me and tell me, oh, it's, it's bad, but it's getting worse. Like, man, shut up. Get away from it. I don't want to hear that junk. Man, shut up. You know, oh, I'll tell you what. Tell you what he's doing next, man. Oh, he's going to go after this. He's going to get Man, shut up. I, he may do it to you. He's not going to do it to me. Listen to me. I've got, Jesus is right there standing beside me saying, don't be afraid, I'm here. You know, and, and, and so these guys, these ten guys, spread fear through millions of people. And God said, all right, that's it. And he said this, no, get out of here. No, you're not going in. You're going to go out and you're going to wander out there in this wilderness until every last one of the fearful people dies off. And then you can go in. And so 40 years, and you look at a map and you see the journey they took. It makes their going in circles out there in, in, in the middle of the desert for 40 years when they were right there. And God's just waiting on them to die off. And I'm telling you, if you do the math on that, this equaled several thousand people a day dying off over a 40-year period. I mean, can you imagine how terrible this was to witness? And all, it didn't have to be this way. This wasn't God's plan. But these guys chose to live a life of fear. And so it finally comes down to it. And, and here, you know, we just looked at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua was the one that leads them in. But two guys out of all those went in, Joshua and Caleb. By this time, they were in their 80s. So, I mean, Joshua was just really starting his calling at the ripe old age of, I think he was 85. I, how would you like to just be hitting the beginning of your, your career at 85? And so, here he is. And then Caleb comes in. Caleb's in his upper 80s. And they get in there, and they're clearing out land, okay? And Caleb's like, all right. I want to choose my spot. I earned this. I want that mountain up there. And everyone's like, you're crazy. You're like, you're ancient, man. You're old. He's like, no, no. I waited 40 years. I want that mountain. And so everyone says, all right. But the only problem was there were some giants up there. And do you think, you know, 85, 90-year-old Caleb was afraid of giants? No. He was excited, man. So you've got this, you know, geriatric climbing the mountain there with a sword killing giants and 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 it says this is a number that or joshua man 
Caleb earned his mountain. He killed those giants. He was an old dude. He killed the giants. He planted his flag on top of that mountain. He lived there till he died. But he earned that mountain. And listen to me. That's what faith will do for, for you, man. It'll push you to the top of the mountain when everybody else is just long behind you. And that's what Jesus is telling you tonight, man. We're talking about lessons from Jesus. And Jesus keeps telling us every day, don't be afraid. I'm here. I've got this. Just have faith. Just believe in me. Man, what did I ever do wrong? Just believe in me. And he's telling you every day. But you've got to stop and listen. And you can't say, well, I know all this. I've been saved for 50 years. I know that. But this is a bad situation. Man, don't do that. No. You know, as we say, get your butt out of the way and talk about God. So many people, I know what the Bible says, but. I know this, but. Man, stop with the but. And listen, believe the words of Jesus. Just have faith. Be courageous. And so I want to show you one last story in John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6 is a really long chapter. So we're going to go all the way to verse 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. All right, so look at this. As I said earlier, sometimes Jesus said some things that upset people, offended people, confused people, and a lot of his teachings still very much tick people off in 2016. There are a lot of things I could pull out of the book of John, and if I walked out onto the streets somewhere and, and you know, said some of the things that Jesus said, you know, probably these days I'd be called a hater and a, you know, a bigot and everything else they want to call me. I'm like, I'm just, just what Jesus said. But right here's an example. Jesus is preaching and he tells the crowd, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't get into the kingdom of God. And a bunch of people are like, what a morbid, macabre, nasty thing to, what? This guy's a nut. What? And he says, listen, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you can't get into the kingdom of God. And I mean tons of people. And he said he had a lot of disciples. Lots of his disciples started walking away like, oh, this is too much for me. And he, that's nut. I'm not going to eat somebody. And they didn't get it. Now, we, of course, at this point know he was talking you know, about what we do all the time, the Lord's Supper. And, but look, and so he says all this to them. And, and people, friends, family, disciples, followers, worshipers, tons of people desert Jesus. But look at John 6, verse 66. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I'll bet that hurts some. You know what I mean? Jesus, he has, he has feelings. We know this. He has emotions. And, and Jesus, look at this. I, verse 67. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, you, you guys going to leave too? You, you guys, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. And these guys, these 12 right here, made a decision, made a commitment that no, no matter what anybody else is doing, we're going to stick with you, Jesus. I don't, I don't care what they're doing. And I just think about that, man. How many people have, have you seen that have walked away from Jesus over the years? I've seen a lot of people totally desert Jesus. And, you know, I've had people come and say, oh, you're still, in, you're still doing that thing, man? You're still over there at that church? You're still, like, man, where am I going to go? I've got, no, I've got nothing else. I've put everything I have into this Christian life. I've staked my entire existence 
on the fact that Jesus Christ is real and that he's the son of God. I've given everything, man. I, I, you know, I, I could, I'm sure he'll make a lot more money than I make. I, there's tons of things I could go do. But listen to me. Where else would I go? I, I, where else would you go? If you're, are you like me? Where if somebody said, and you're still doing that Jesus thing, I left that a long time, would you be able to say, where else am I going to go? He's, he's the one that's got the words of life. He's the only one that, that can help me. He's the only one that can save me. I, I'm not going anywhere, man. I don't care if everybody I know walks away from Jesus. I'm not doing it. I'm sticking with him. I'm saying, Jesus, man, it's me and you to the end. I, I, guess, I guess it's me and you, but I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here, Jesus. And, and just as much as Jesus says that to you, you should be able to say that to him. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. He says it to you every day. You should be able to say that to him every day. I'm right here, Jesus. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Whatever you want me to do, that's fine. I'll go, man. Whatever you want, I'm here. You want me to walk away from this? That's fine. Whatever you want. But Jesus, as we've talked, the rock of ages, we're, we're studying Jesus for the next few weeks. Listen, one of the biggest attributes of Jesus is his faithfulness. He is not going to leave you. Do not leave him. He is not going to betray you. He's not going to let you down. Don't do it to him. Give him the same amount of faithfulness that he gives to you. You know, know, we'll never be able to pay him back. We know that. I mean, you can't pay Jesus back for what he did for us. No, no way. But I'm going to try my best every day to to give back to Jesus. And I mean, serve in this church, to help out in this church, to help just anything I can do to give back to Jesus. I'm going to do it. I'll never pay him back. But I'm going to do my best to try to. And listen to me. He's telling you tonight, don't be afraid. I'm right here. And that's what I want you to take home for this week. Because if you're not facing something right now, I mean, chances are something stupid will happen to you this week somewhere along the line, right? We're humans. And listen to me. Jesus is going to be telling you, don't be afraid. I'm right here. Don't lose that. Hold on to that. And I'm telling you, this coming week, next Sunday, we're going to have another word from Jesus that's going to be absolutely speaking to your life in a great big way. Amen? We got that? We're good? All right, let's end there. Let's go ahead and call it.